Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. And welcome to episode 281 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Tuesday, March 30th. The Atlanta Braves open their season in less than 48 hours. And I am joined by both of the frequent co-hosts of this podcast. Scott Coleman is here and Eric Cole is here. Hello, friends. Hey, fellas. Good to be on. I don't know about you guys, but I thought spring training went by pretty quick over the last six weeks. Usually... At least for me, I feel like it's just this never-ending marathon, and it feels like opening day is consistently three weeks away. But at least for me, I felt like this one went by pretty quick. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, it just felt like, well, first of all, there wasn't any like injuries or any weirdness that happened that make you go, dear God, why can't, why can't we shorten spring training? Or, you know, like, why are we running our guys out here to deal with this on a every year in, year out, we always lose somebody type of thing? Um and more importantly, I mean, we only got a 60-game season last year, and, you know, everything was really weird. I, I think all, everyone was kind of kind of clamoring for normalcy, and, you know, I don't think spring training, I, th- I still think it shouldn't be as long as it is, but it was just kind of nice to have baseball to talk about, and I, it didn't feel like that sort of that grind that it normally feels like. Yeah, I've admitted multiple times to not being a big, a big spring training guy, but it did kind of fly by a little bit this year. There were no disasters as we knock on wood here at the end of March, and that's kind of all that matters. Get Just get through it, get it over with, and have the games start counting later this week. Um, most of this podcast will be our traditional predictions formats. We'll fire off some takes later on. I have no idea what Scott or or Eric are going to say about the predictions, so this is the one time where where there are no notes that I have in front of me on those, so I guess buckle up, everybody. But um, until then, we do have some quick news to get to. Most of it's roster-related. There was a stray story this week that the Braves actually agreed to a one-year, $9 million deal with Kirby Yates, like way back in the winter that no one ever found out about. By the way, shouts to Alex Anthopoulos for being a uh, just an absolute like master of not leaking things. Because yeah. if that actually happened, and I, I mean, all signs there that it actually did, that's pretty crazy. But anyway, Yates kind of failed a physical, apparently, and uh, has an arm issue of some sort. But uh, I have no takeaway, just the fact that that actually <laughs> almost happened, I guess. Yeah, the only real takeaway I had is from Ken Rosenthal, it was reported that it was a one-year deal, but $9 million, which is a, a pretty hefty chunk of change, and Anthopoulos has never been shy about spending on the bullpen, especially over the last two years. Um, I, so I guess the money total for me for a team that has cried poor and uh, you know it sounded like they really had to get down to the nitty-gritty with Ozuna doing the less money up front. Uh, it was a little bit of a surprise to see that $9 million reported figure, but uh, obviously as as those things go, there's a reason that's always pending physical whenever you get a report like that. So obviously it was a, uh, a good thing to avoid because that would have been a very unpleasant spring surprise to lose one of your big off-season additions before they even play a game. 
Yeah, and I mean, it's a weird situation to me because it, you know, if the, he the Braves are going to fail him on a physical, it was already it was reported too, like the Blue Jays, like they saw the same issue on his physical, and they still signed him. They just signed him for less money, which you know. At the time, all it did was just made Braves fans mad because, you know, like, look at the Blue Jays. They just signed Kirby Yates for nothing. <laughs> right. Uh, as it turns out, that's why that, that, that's exactly why it happened is because there was this issue with his physical. But I'm with Scott. Like, the $9 million figure kind of caught my attention. And I was talking a little bit to Chris about this, is that the timing of this is kind of right, like, you know, in that January time period where we're, you know, the, the Ozuna signing was still kind of hanging out there. I'm, I am curious as to whether or not the decision or the the signing of Yates or lack thereof impacted at all the actual being able to sign Ozuna because if it doesn't impact it that means that they, the Braves have some more money than they are kind of letting on but if it would have like it would have been a pretty bad look to sign Kirby Yates and not bring back Marcelo Ozuna so I, I'm I'm kind of curious as to kind of how that decision making process went down we'll never know no. uh, because again this just came out recently about Kirby uh that the Braves even had an agreement with him and this was like two months after it had fallen through. So, you know, we, we won't know, but it's kind of a, something I'm kind of thinking about in the back of my head is kind of when we're thinking about trade deadline deals, um, even like if we need, they need to sign a bench bat or something like that, uh, maybe in the next couple of weeks. Uh, it's something that I'm thinking about that may, they might have a little bit more money than they're letting on. But beyond that, you know, this is why you have physicals. And if you see something that's a red flag, the Braves did the right thing and just said, no, we're not going to deal with that. Yeah, just just walk away. That's that's the luxury here. It is also a good reminder, as you guys kind of both alluded to a little bit there, that there are always things we, we try to say that on this podcast, but there are always stuff that we that we're not going to know in the public. And I, I try to not go crazy on certain things because of the unknown that there always is like, especially with regard to guys who sign elsewhere. You might be frustrated when a guy signs elsewhere um, for, you know, actually happened with, with Melanson as well. It was like, wow, that wasn't a lot of money. Why did he sign elsewhere? But there's usually a factor or something in place. Not always, but usually there's something else going on. And that, this time around, it was a, uh, an, a, a an actual physical issue with Kirby Yates. Um, the other non major league roster transaction before we get to the actual roster is that the Braves signed Jeff Mathis to a minor league deal today. Uh, this is this is not going to hugely matter, I don't think, but I just want to say this out loud. Jeff Mathis has one of the weirdest profiles you'll ever see on a veteran baseball player. He has a career 46 WRC plus, which is, you know, breathtakingly bad, but he has more than 3000 plate appearances in his career because he is so good on defense and so good and sort of well-renowned at handling pitchers that he's stuck around for, you know, 15 years, basically, without being able to hit at all. It's kind of remarkable, and I doubt he plays with the Braves in Atlanta this year. If he does, it'll be a, a spot thing to play some defense, but I just wanted to kind of remark on how wild the Jeff Mathis experience is. He's also 38 years old, but a, a good mentor type in the Flowers mold without while actually being, like, way worse than Flowers at baseball for cheap. So there you go. Well, there's that, and there's the. I mean, even DOB reported that Mathis is already considering a transition to coaching, and like this seems to be like his way to kind of get into that. And you know, it's kind of again that Flowers type of guy, but not having to use a roster spot, a major league roster spot for him. Um, they have guys like William Contreras, Shea Langliers is going to probably be making his way up to the upper minors too. You want guys that can teach those guys how to like manage a pitching staff, call games. Uh, little tips, little tricks on, you know, blocking balls and all that other stuff. Having that kind of coach type in the minor leagues with you, like, that's a really invaluable thing. Uh, I'm, I'm with you. Like, 
every time I saw Jeff Mathis like come up in a, a game against the Braves when he was with the Marlins and you know various other stops along the way, it's just like you know he's like batting like one seventy and you know every once in a while he'd run into one and it seemed like they happened against the Braves more often than it should have, but you know, those type of backup catchers that just are really, really good at, like, they can come in and no matter who the guy is on the mound, they know what the, that, they prepare really well to to handle that guy, receive that guy, and, you know, help shepherd guys through tough stretches, whether they be veteran guys or young guys. You know, there are a select few guys who are just sort of built to do that. And Mathis is one of those guys. Now, you know, I wouldn't read much into this beyond that. You know, I think just having this guy at Gwinnett, maybe in like an, an emergency where you feel like you need to have an experienced hand come up. That's, yeah, I guess that's fine. You bring him up if you need him to, but beyond that, it's, you know, it's not that big a deal other than just having have another coach down there in Gwinnett. Yeah, I tend to agree. It is what it is. Um, we'll go from there to the actual roster concerns, I guess. Um, at least not concerns. Uh, this is kind of where we think the roster is going, and it's been widely reported as the roster is going. This is not official. As we record this Tuesday night, the Braves have not officially announced their roster for Thursday and beyond, but there's basically consensus with the beat writers, so uh, this is where we're going. Um, the headliner, I think, is probably the fact that the Braves are going with a four-man bench, which is interesting to me, and candidly, I, I don't love this because... Uh, with no DH, a four-man bench, especially when it includes a backup catcher that you probably won't use very much because Bryce Decker went to the Bobby Cox School of Catcher Management, it's pretty light <laughs> uh, to have a four-man bench with uh, some interesting factors. So the four guys are Ender Inciarte, widely expected, um, going with uh, Adrianza as the uh, utility guy in the infield, Pablo Sandoval as the number one pitch hitter, I suppose, and then Alex Jackson seems to be the case. And, you know, the, I guess the surprise really was Jake Lamb not being there because as of, you know, a week, week ago, week and a half ago, the beat writers, you know, DOB and Bowman were talking about him as kind of like almost a lock to make the team. And that did not happen. Um, he already signed with the White Sox, by the way, after being let go. Mm -hmm. um, and then Camargo got option. That wasn't too shocking because he had an option and they can keep him around. And then Jason, Kip Jason Kipnis was let go, but also was brought back pretty quickly on a minor league deal. So he's still around. Not going to be on the, on the major league roster, it seems. So, I don't know. Uh, my only take really is the four-man bench is kind of weird, but the actual decisions are not like crazy. No, I, I think the way that Adrianza again, you never want to overreact to five or six weeks of spring training, but it, it's hard to not give him a job after what he's done over the last month. Uh, so I was glad to see him on there. They obviously value Pablo Sandoval to an extent. They of course brought him in like three days before the season ended last year, if memory serves. And then he was on the postseason roster. Um, and then Alex Jackson over Contreras was a little bit of a surprise. I know Mark Bowman had talked and we had talked too on this podcast about the trade-offs of using Contreras for a month with no minor league season. Uh, and, and then Ender, he, he's owed just too much money to kick to the curb. Uh, my guess is, is, because the Braves and, and everyone really, but especially coming off of that shortened 60 game year, maybe they figure that none of the starting pitchers are going to go more than five or six innings to begin the season, really let them get their legs under them again. That That's just a guess on my part, but maybe they feel like they're really going to lean on that bullpen over the first couple weeks to get everybody ready to go for 90 or a hundred pitches every night. 
I, I guess if that's how they're feeling, it makes sense to carry that extra reliever. But ultimately, you know, at some point early in the year, you're going to wish you had a little bit more of a bench presence and hopefully it doesn't come back to bite him. Yeah, I think that we're going to see at least one of those relievers. My guess would be Sean Newcomb gets sent down after that bullpen game. Uh, and then we'll see. I mean, I, I want to say it would be Camargo because that's kind of the easy 40-man move to make. But, you know, <laughs> Camargo's kind of very clearly fallen out of favor. I mean, he just got beat out by a guy that, you know, was very was a long shot to make the club in spring training in Adrianza, who absolutely raked and deserved the job, by the way. Um, beyond that, I, my only ender was going to happen regardless of whether I wanted it to or not. Um, <laughs> but, but, but Pablo, Pablo Zandoval was a really interesting. He performed really well this spring. Uh, Lamb also did not look good. No. So like if between two guys who are kind of that, like that third base, you know, first pinch hitter up type, I want the guy who actually looks good at the plate. Uh, and there are two guys, two guys that, you know, are both kind of maybe past their prime. So I kind of want to see what they look like and make that a true competition rather than just kind of have a preference one way or the other. And me and Sandoval won that. Um, the only thing I would have played Contreras over Jackson, and that's, you know, a combination of, you know, having a place for him to play for that first month, uh, playing him in the major leagues, letting him getting used to this particular pitching staff, which it seems as though he's going to have to work with in the future. And, you know, kind of getting that experience at the major league level, I thought would have been valuable, uh, especially if you're playing him a decent bit. Because he's still that way, he's still kind of staying fresh. It also allows Travis Darno to kind of takes a few games off his legs to start the season, so that way he's good to go for the end of the season. That's what I would have done. I would have just made sure that Contreras was playing regularly. However, with Brian Snicker as the manager, we all know what would have happened, which is that Travis Darno was going to play ten games in a row, and maybe, just maybe, if it was a getaway game, they'll put they'll they would have put Contreras in there for the eleventh game. And if that's the case, then playing Ajax makes sense. And I will say that Ajax looked better at the plate lately than I thought he would, but I'm just going to go ahead and prime everyone. I do not think that Alex Jackson's going to hit basically at all. So, you know, the third time that you see him in a game and, you know, he's already struck out like twice in the game. That's kind of what you get with Ajax. He, every once in a while he'll run into a ball, but you know, he's a guy that that's your backup catcher. And he's gotten a lot better at the defensive side of things, but I would, I would not expect too much on the offensive side of things from him. Yeah, it's a safe bet. I mean, with a guy who's been as bad as he has been, it's a small sample size in the majors at the plate. You can't expect him to hit a lot. And uh, he's just kind of there to be the backup catcher type, and that's totally fine. And your point's a good one earlier about, you know, maybe they go back to a nine-man bullpen once the first week is over. That made more sense to me because I think long-term, you you can't possibly run a four-man bench for the full season with no DH. It's just That's just wild to me. Um, At any rate, um, the bullpen – is 10, which is again crazy. Um, the big four, which we all knew, Josh Tomlin was a lock as as, as was widely reported as of a couple of weeks ago. So that, that's five. The other five are Nate Jones, Grant Dayton, Luke Jackson, Sean Newcomb, and Huascar Enoa, who has not looked great, but uh, obviously has a great arm. Um, they optioned Kyle Wright and Jacob Webb pretty early. Um, by the way, all indications were that Bryce Wilson moved ahead of Kyle Wright in the process with regard to the rotation. So if you that That might inform you later on. And uh, by the way, Webb also having the option made it easier for him. And Carl Edwards opted out of uh, of his Braves deal in favor of free agency. Usually, that's a giveaway that he was not going to make the team. Um, Normally, not always, but usually that means that they told him, "Listen, Carl, you're not going to make the team. Go ahead and get your free agency." Um, Not always, but again. And then Tukey, man, Tukey. 
He looked pretty good at times, uh, but going to the 60-day IL with a right shoulder issue, which is not what you want to see. So I have really no no thoughts on the bullpen. Like, if you're going to take 10 guys, they just took all 10. I mean, I guess Webb, I would say Webb is a guy that I like better than a couple of the other options, but because he had an option, they didn't need to keep him up there. So this is sort of a strategy-based bullpen, I think. Yeah, um, I, I think that Carl Edwards Jr. certainly didn't help his own calls with the walks this spring. No. You know, he was a guy that was like, the recent history, you know, was kind of against him. But he's an arm that I've just historically liked. And I, you know, again, kind of going into the spring, he was kind of one of those guys were like, okay, we, he has a really good chance of making this club, um, you know, after kind of like some small sample size, good things happening. So, uh, but again, this spring just walks too many guys. And, you know, just didn't look particularly solid, whereas Nate Jones looked very good. So if you're kind of wanting to pick a righty and you're and you're treating it like an open competition, which is what I hope they would do, um, I mean, Nate Jones won that. So I don't really have any issues. I think with Tukey, and it sounds like the, the reporting around him is that he is certainly injured. Uh, I, I say that because they took a 10, they, with a 10-man bullpen, I don't think they would just play roster games with a 60-day IL stint for the guy who's been arguably one of the better relievers this spring. So I think what happened was that he got hurt and it was probably not going to be something that was going to resolve itself in a week or two, which me and, you know, it's not like a long-term like shoulder, like shoulder surgery type thing, but you know, it allowed them to do some things with their roster by putting him on the 60 day IL to kind of and allow him to get healthy. So I'm, I'm not super worried about Tukey. He's looked really good this spring. And I think that, you know, he's going to play a part in this, this bullpen for the Braves, assuming that he gets healed up um, with, with no issues. I was a little disappointed to see that Webb got optioned. Um, but again, once you kind of get into these guys that don't have any options left, um, you know, maybe you kind of extend your, your bullpen slash, I mean, since Gwinnett's right there, it's not like you're sending a guy down to the minor leagues, uh, makes him completely unavailable to you, (laughs) you know, but like over the course of like a 12 hour stint. Right. So I I think that, you know, him having an option, having options and being able to send him down without really any penalty made a certain amount of sense, even though I think that. There's a couple arms in that bullpen that I would be playing him over, um, and uh, I think it's a bit of an upset that Sean Nuka made this made this bullpen. But to be honest with you, I think that he's going to be the first guy out uh, once they make the move to expand the bench a bit. Yeah, I think if I'm looking for somebody who could be t- kind of in the Tyler Matzik breakout role, I, th- I think Nate Jones is probably that guy. Um, granted, he has not been very good the last couple of years. He's bounced around a bit. He was in Cincinnati last year before. She- being in with the White Sox before that, but he's a guy who's who's been successful in in the past. He is 35, but oddly enough, he did see an uptick in his velocity last year. Maybe it was the shortened season, but I, I think as we talk today in bullpen, I mean, as you guys know, relievers are just so weird on a year to year basis. It's nearly impossible to predict who's going to be good and who's going to who's going to fade outside of maybe the very best of the best. I, I do think if I had to guess on someone who we look back on in six months ago, man, that was a really good under the radar pickup. I, I think my, my March 30th prediction would be Nate Jones. But again, because there we're going to see 15 plus arms in this bullpen at some point or another. Uh, and depth is never, ever a bad thing. So hopefully they, they can find seven or eight guys they can rely on throughout the year and, and get them through the long six month grind. Yeah, we'll see. I think Nate, Nate Jones is really interesting to monitor, and uh, obviously they, they liked him enough to keep him around, so we'll keep an eye on that. Um, all right, l- last thing before we get to the predictions. I, I want to gauge your worry level here. Uh, Freddie Freeman did an interview with Mark Bowman midweek last week, 
and said in the midst of it, it was definitely worth a full read if you haven't seen it. Um, but the, I guess the baseball headliner was that the Braves had not approached him yet with an extension offer as of midweek of last week at all. So no, no talks. Now, uh, personally, I was not too stunned, but I, I just kind of, my, my approach was to say, look, this isn't the end of the world, but it also isn't good. And that's kind of where I still am now. A lot of people just kind of replied to me and said, you know, you're worried about nothing. That's fine. That's definitely possible. And again, my only point is, if given the options of Freeman answering this question in a different way, or the way that he did, I would say this is not a great sign. It doesn't mean it's a terrible <laughs> sign, but uh, yeah. Freddie could have said a different answer. He could have given a very, like, diplomatic, you know, my agent's handling that or whatever. But he, he made it a point to say on the record that they had not even talked about it yet. So yeah. that's my only thought, Scott. I feel like you're ready to chime in, so go ahead. <laughs> I, I didn't really know what to make of it. Um, Freddie is very robotic. Whenever he does interviews, he's, he's a guy who obviously has been around the media and reporters for a decade now, and he knows how to answer questions like that. And yep. You're right. It's an interesting point that he, he did say, no, they haven't talked to me. Now, it's entirely possible that the next morning Anthopolis called him and said, hey, let, let's talk. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and the history of this podcast suggests that as we talk about this now, within like three hours, this deal is going to get done. Oh, that's fi- like that's that. fine with me, by the way. I want to go on record. If they want to get this done <laughs> yeah. by tomorrow morning and, ru- and ruin the podcast, that's totally fine. Cool. Go ahead. Yeah, we'll, we'll do yeah, it. Put, yeah, put it, in, put, put it in the title. Yeah. That's all you need to yeah, do. Put it's it in fine. The title. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it was an interesting interview. Again, I, I never know. Athletes are so conditioned, especially veterans, are so conditioned to never really say anything uh, remarkable. But I, I don't know. I, I would have told you a month ago that I would have guessed that this deal would have been done by opening day. And I guess as of recording this, we're still about, oh, 44 hours away from that first game of the year. So there is some time. But it is a little bit of a, I don't even know if concern is the right word, but a bit of a concern that as the season begins, you generally don't see a ton of extensions during the year. Uh, they're, they're more often handled in the spring or, of course, in the, the offseason. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm a little surprised. I didn't know too much what to make of what Freddie said, but ultimately it was kind of an eye-raising quote whenever you, uh, whenever he said it. Yeah, there's a few things. I'll, I'll say that I am concerned, but like my concern level is low. Because there's a few things to think about here too. It's not just that, like, with the maybe the Braves are just trying to see what their financial situation is going to be, and like, are there going to be fans in the stadiums, and how that's going to affect their payroll going forward, like before they start trying to make a, an offer to Freddie. Like, it's somewhat understandable to be like, you know, maybe we, we just want to get our financial forecast together before we try to lock up the guy, the guy who's going to be probably have the most expensive contract on the team. Um, and there's also the factor that Freddie just had twins. And I, I don't know how much negotiating was ever going to be happening between the, the Braves and Freddie when he was dealing with having two babies at home all of a sudden. So, you know, maybe this was his way of saying, you know, like there was no discussion, discussions happening simply because of his family situation. But he wanted to let the world at large know that he was ready to talk about this now. And he did so in no uncertain terms because Brad's point is a good one is, you know, he could have been, you know, like, you know, we'll just you know, we'll just, I'll let my hand, angel, agent handle those negotiations and we'll wait and see. My, you know, my focus is on, you know, making sure the Braves are successful this year. And I look forward to, you know, trying to make sure that it goes on for many years to come. He could have done that robotic answer that literally everyone does when they're asked about their extensions. And he didn't do that. 
Like, it was pointed. It wasn't, like, mean-spirited. It didn't seem like it was acrimonious. It's just like, you know, we haven't talked. And it made it sound like he wanted to talk about it. Now, if we, you know, get on a couple weeks now and then we still don't hear, well, I say that, and then we don't have an extension for Freddie, then the likelihood seems to me that is going to be going down quite a bit that there's going to be a contract extension before the end of the season or at least for a while. And that's not great news when, you know, Francisco Lindor's, you know, asking for, you know, three, $400 million contracts. Freddie's, co- Freddie, Freddie's coming off an MVP year. And, you know, at some point, you know, a lot of the goodwill starts seeping away for the hometown team when you feel like you're getting dragged along for about extension talks. So that, that's where I, I mean, I'm, I'm not ex- super concerned now, but the, with Freddie saying that combined with just kind of what we thought was going to happen, it seemed like that everyone thought this was going to be easy. Like people were even dismissive towards us when we were like asking openly, like when are the Braves are going to do this extension? They're like, Oh, that's a done deal. It's over. And now we're at opening day and it's not a done deal. Now, again, it's a talking chop podcast. So, you know, brace yourselves for a Freddie Freeman extension and that's fine. But Right now, I mean, it's a little concerning, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason to panic. And the Braves, as we talked about earlier with the uh, Kirby Yates thing, the Braves are very tight-lipped. So, you know, on their side, there isn't going to be a lot of leaking, you would imagine. And Freddie, you know, could have been just a one-off, too. Like, Freddie's, like Scott said before, you know, Freddie's a pretty boring interview overall, which I don't mind. I think he's just a very straight ahead guy and he's not you know the biggest personality in the world in that way and um i thought it was maybe intentional but maybe not and we'll see and no panic and like like we kind of all alluded to i hope this uh, gets done but if it doesn't get done in the next two days you know maybe maybe they could still get talked around the season i'm not gonna panic it would be good though if it was done no one wants to see freddie hit free agency i'll tell you that right now no one on the brave side anyway Uh, that would not be good so all right what's that's enough of that uh after a quick break to hear from our sponsors we'll come back and fire off some hot take predictions so hold on tight all right gentlemen let us begin the march towards predictions uh we're going to save the win totals for later we're going to save the nl east for later uh, i'm going to start with one that i know the answer to for eric and that is team mvp in fact, for Eric, I almost want to say the non-Soroka team MVP, but I'll let, I'll let him answer if he wants to say Soroka. That's fine. Go ahead, Eric. I mean, for branding purposes, I should say Soroka, right? Um, but and I, when we we're doing a roundtable that's rolling out right now. I did pick Soroka as the pitching MVP, and I will die. Yeah, in that yeah you did. Uh, but I will say Ronald Cooney Jr. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was Ozuna or Freddie. I mean, even Ozzy. You know, like all those guys that can put up like real production. Um, and you know, with a career year, any of those guys to do it. It's just the way I think about the team MVP is just kind of like overall value um, and like defensively, offensively on the base paths, you know, like like Ronnie's the guy that can do all that. And in the case of Ozuna and Freddie, I understand why people would pick them and like it could very easily happen, but it felt like to me that the level of production that Freddie and Ozuna put up last year, like that's their peak outcome. Like that's the best versions of themselves, which is honestly very, very good. And if they do that again, great. It's just in Ronnie's case, he feels like it feels like that he's on this crazy trajectory where like it the, it feels like him going 40-40 this year, like isn't a crazy notion. Uh, and like there's an outside shot for like 50-50. Now that's like kind of getting like into like that's getting in the crazy territory, but that he's even capable of doing that. And that's even in the discussion we're happening that we're having. 
you know, it kind of speaks to kind of the, the level of talent that we're talking about and what he could do to, you know, carry this team. So, you know, it's, is it the boring answer? Yeah, probably. But, and the, the Braves certainly have some other guys on the roster that could do it. But for me, it's Ronnie. So certainly Ronnie is the easy answer. And then you have Freddie Freeman who won the award six months ago and he's an easy answer and you just hit on everybody else. Uh, just to go off, uh, just for the sake of argument, I think one player who, when you talk about team MVP, it's it's so open to interpretation, right? Because every year, every good team has that one player who doesn't get the national recognition. But if you talk to the players around the team, they go, oh, well, he was like our team MVP this year. Um, yeah, I'm going to go Marcus, with... Yep. Right, right. Oh, <laughs> come on. We almost got all the way through this. Almost. He... Oh, he might still come out of retirement. No, I'm, I'm kidding. He's available. <laughs> it could happen. He's I'm, available. I'm kind of joking. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say Will Smith is going to be a sneaky, when we look back in six months, Will Smith is going to be somebody who is invaluable to this team. Uh, the bullpen has certainly lost a bit with without Shane Green, without Mark Melanson. I don't know if you can realistically just pencil in that, Tyler Matzik and A.J. Minter are going to be elite again this year over a full year. Uh, Chris Martin, as good as he is when he is healthy, has had a couple of little tweaks here and there, and he is not a young man by any means. Uh, so for the sake of, I guess, my official prediction, yeah, it's, it's Ronald Acuna Jr. He might be the MVP of the entire league. But I'm going to say Will Smith is somebody who in, in six months we're going to look back and say, man, they really needed him. Uh, he can be so dominant from the left side, and he was just never right a summer ago uh, after COVID and just not really having any kind of a, a spring training to warm up with. Uh, so I'll say Will Smith is going to be an under-the-radar guy who we really come to appreciate over the next year. This is a uh, a pro-Will Smith podcast. We've been very high on Will Smith. Uh, we, we defended Will Smith a year ago, I think. Hopefully we're right, and hopefully Scott looks smart with that prediction. Um, I will give mine and just acknowledge that Acuna would be my pick as well. My non-mainstream uh, pick would be Ozzy Albies. Um, I think Ozzy is now underrated because he had sort of a weird year last year and has been kind of out of the consciousness. But as Scott and I discussed last week, I think it was, on the show, on the lineup preview, I think Ozzy is awesome. And I think people kind of not forgotten about him, but he's just not been a huge talking point. And I think he will be because he's going to be awesome again. Yeah. I mean, he, he could realistically hit five war this year if he's, oh, easily. if, if yeah, he's really healthy and the defense is what it's been. Yeah. I mean, no, no problem. I mean, he's, he's shown us how good he is. And of course you all know that most Braves fans know it, but you're absolutely right. He's someone who's been under the radar a little bit. I, I will say this real quick I, before, 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 before we go to the next one. Uh, there's a better chance that Ozzy, is a five war player than Marcelo Zuna is a five war player because Ozuna has to play defense. Oh, yeah, easy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, he's uh, not there and left. So, yeah, that makes it a little trickier. I yeah. think I think Ozuna is the, is the safer bet to be a better hitter, but if you factor in, you know, high end defense and all that stuff, you might lean Ozzy anyway. Um, all right, let's go to uh, a different category. This is, I'm going to make you guys choose both of these. I, I need you to give me like a potential disappointment. And also a potential like breakout or surprise. It doesn't have to be like a guy who making making a huge jump, but basically give me something something negative and something positive in whichever order you would <laughs> like to. Ooh, all right. I'll start bad first. I will say that Austin Riley is replaced at third base at some point during the season. Oh man! All right. I, uh, I I'm not the highest on Austin. I've I've had questions about him. We know the power is there, and trust me, nothing will make me happier to eat my own words and he becomes the 
franchise third baseman for the next decade. Trust me, I would I would love to be wrong on this, but uh, it is such a premium position in the lineup at third. You need offensive production from that. I, I think the defense is going to certainly give Austin a chance to play every single day, and, and frankly, at this point, he needs to play every single day. Uh, but I just don't feel super great about it. I, I think this is a tremendous roster, and there's only so many places you can realistically point to a disappointment. Um, you know, maybe as everyone has high hopes for Dansby, maybe another injury happens. That that's been a theme with his young career. Certainly hope not. Um, and, and then who knows what to make of any time you bring in a somebody like Drew Smiley, just because of the the publicity of a one year deal, uh, is a little bit of a concern. So, but I think to make my official disappointment pick which is just odd to say i will lean towards uh, austin riley go positive now scott lift it up oh boy so i guess i kind of I, you stole my thunder a little bit because i'm thinking ozzy is it ozzy could, okay That's could fine. realistically be like a top 25 hitter in the game as far as war goes in terms of just overall value. Listen, um, we, ha- we I, have, we have to start. Uh, there are three of us. We have to, we have to say that some of the same players in some of these. I'm just saying. Yeah, for sure. So <laughs> I think Ozzy is a little underrated uh, in that regard. Um, and, and I think Christian Pache is going to have a really good year in center field. Um, he's probably not going to be an elite hitter right off the bat. Or matter of fact, he's very likely not going to be an elite hitter right off the bat, but the defense is so, so good. He, he feels like a player who's going to be a ton of fun to watch. And, and if we're talking about the rookie of the year in six months, I would not be surprised. Okay, Eric. So Fire. I, I, I am not going to mention, like, rookie guys because, like, it's that, that seems kind of like a little bit too easy. Uh, in ter- I'm kind of going on, like, based on what we've seen from guys in the past that have some track record. Um, I actually am the exact opposite of – Scott, uh, I actually think Austin Riley could be a breakout this year. Ooh, he's there a guy, we go. He, so he's a guy that has historically, it's taken him a little while at whatever level he's been at to adjust a bit. Um, and he makes those adjustments and then he performs well. Uh, obviously, we're talking about a little bit of a weird scenario where he, you know, rookie call up was on fire for three weeks and then forgot how to hit a slider uh, and then got hurt. And then we had a 60 game sample last year where he was a little dinged up and, you know, didn't look awesome, but he wasn't terrible either. And we saw some encouraging things on his peripherals to make it think that maybe he was like kind of in the right direction of figuring things out and that maybe with a full season, he would have figured things out. I, in terms of this question, I'm betting that he figures things out. And I'm not saying he's going to turn in like this, like 40 home run. Like, yes, you, you know, are. Charles. You're saying that no, right I'm now. No, not, sir. No, no, sir. Uh, and it's not like Josh Donaldson over there, but I think he'll be a very, produ- I think he will be a productive hitter this year. Uh, and that's all the Braves really need him to be. Because while, you know, you with this lineup, you know, there's you don't want to you want to make sure it's as long as possible. This is also a team that's going to be offensively. I'm not super worried about on a night in night out basis. I mean, if you're if your worst hitter in your lineup is Austin Riley or is Christian Pache, you're doing OK. Um, I, I at least in my opinion. Now, for disappointment, uh, I think that people are hanging their hat a little bit too much on a 30 year old catcher named Travis Darno, um, especially for a guy who, like, in terms of track record of both staying healthy and like being a super productive hitter doesn't exactly have that. He was really awesome last year. Yep. Let's be clear about that. I mean, a, a 919 OPS is for a catcher insane. It's also almost 100 points higher than his like like second best season in his career. And, you know, there's also like he's never played more than 112 games in a year. Not not one time in his career. He's 32 years old, 
I, I just don't see him being as productive as he was last year. I just don't. And if that means he's a disappointment, I guess. I mean, that, you know, I just don't think there's any way he could be anywhere. Like, I don't think he's going to be close to what he was last year. And that means if he bats, like, 280 and, you know, has, like, maybe around an 800 OPS, like, that's a significant drop-off to what he was last year. Does that make him a dis- disappointment? He might be for some people, but the reality is when you're looking at your catcher position, you, know, you would normally kill to have that out of your catching position. So, and again, that's kind of one of the reasons why I was wanting, you know, Contreras, who's a kind of a, a bat that I trust as that backup catcher position, because you have Darno, who I think is going to take a dip, and then Alex Jackson, who I don't think can hit at all. Yeah, I mean, you guys mentioned a lot of the pretty natural ones, I think. Like, I, I considered Riley for my more negative one. I, I'm not a huge believer. I think that he could be. Um, I think the expectation, actually, the baseline is going to be low enough now where it wouldn't surprise me if he meets it, if that makes sense. I think the shines come off to a level where maybe he's actually appropriately rated now after kind of, at least in my view, being a pretty overrated prospect slash player until now. Um, and also, I think Darno's a pretty natural one, too. I, I guess in an effort to not repeat what you guys said, I will say Christian Pache's bat only as a disappointment. I think he's not going to hit. That's my my projection is that he won't hit this year. Um, I might be wrong about that, and he's a very talented player. I do think the defense is so good that it may not matter, um, which is a good thing. Uh, but I think he is not going to hit if I had to project. So I will go there. I would also sprinkle, and I think I mentioned this on the bullpen re- uh, preview we did. It, it seems logical to me that either Matzik or Minter is not going to be uh, Mariano Rivera this year, basically. Uh, one of those guys is not going to do it, and I don't know which one, so I'm not going to sprinkle that in. <laughs> but uh, it yeah. seems it stands to reason that those guys are not going to be quite as good, I don't think. Um, on the positive side, oof, I-, I think Drew Smiley. We've like we're like tied to Drew Smiley on this podcast, but I think I'm gonna I'm gonna mention Drew Smiley as a uh, as an option. But my my actual pick, and I would never use the word breakout for this guy because he's uh, he's both old and established. But I think Charlie Morton's going to be awesome. Uh, Charlie, yeah. Charlie Morton is my, he's also my, he's also my pick for best pitcher on the team this season. Uh, so if you, if you made me choose a pitching MVP, it'd be Charlie Morton and that's no shade on Max Freed or Mike Soroka. I just think that Charlie Morton's like actual baseline is a tad bit higher. I could be wrong. He's old. That's worth saying, but, uh, I'm staking my, I'm, I'm putting a stake in the ground on Charlie Morton. I think he's gonna be awesome. So yeah, go. Charlie Morton's really good. Yeah. I was looking at his numbers. Like, I don't think across all of baseball, people realize how good Charlie Morton has been over the last three or four years. Agreed. I think we, I think we talked about that a lot when we did the preview, but yeah, I think he's underrated. Like it's because it's maybe kind of been kind of an anonymous guy. He's not the biggest personality. He's not, I mean, sure. he's obviously on some good teams, but like he was with the Rays uh, at one point. Like he was not the guy on Houston by any means. Like he was one of those guys, but he was not the most famous player. Like he's just kind of flying under the radar, but he's really, really good. So yeah. not, not a hot take to uh, like Charlie Morton. <laughs> just hope he's healthy. That's yeah, same. They're going to need him. Um, okay. With all that out of the way, fellas. Uh, it's time for some NL East slash win total picks. This is the uh, the final opportunity to weigh in. I'm I'm gonna make myself go last, um, so you guys I, I will try not to du- duplicate too much. But I need your NL East order of finish and your Braves win total. Eric, give it to me. For the fourth season in a row, I will be picking the Atlanta Braves Professional Baseball Club. 
uh, to win the NL East. Um, I think that they're going to get around 94 wins. There's a couple reasons for that. I think that they've played the teams in their division well over the last few years. And while I think that those teams have gotten better, particularly the Mets, um, I think that there's just matchup things regarding those teams that just favor the Braves in a lot of ways, which allows them to kind of get to that win total and get end up taking the crown. Uh, I think the Mets comfortably finish in second. Uh, and it could be close at the end of the year between the Mets and the Braves, maybe coming down to like a like one last series against between the two teams, that sort of thing. Uh, I, I like the Mets. I don't like their rotation as everyone as as much as some people do. Um, there's guys I like in that, you know, like Marcus Stroman's a guy that I like, you know, historically, I've liked the upside of Taiwan Walker, you know, obviously Jacob deGrom's insane. I'm not going to they have the best pitcher in the division full stop. But after that, I think it gets a little bit dicier, and you know, then you have some health questions, some track record questions. I just don't think they're as good as maybe they would look on paper. Um, so I, I have them in second. You could do a pick them between the Phillies and the Nationals for me. I, I'm not sure that the Nationals are going to be any good this year, but they also have Juan Soto and Max Scherzer on the same roster. So I could see them being better than I would think. But, you know, the Phillies have, like, invested in that roster, and their bullpen is supposedly better. So I guess I put them third, and then I put the Nationals fourth. And the, the Marlins, despite their plucky finish last year, uh, and, you know, despite the fact that they nearly cost us a Major League Baseball season altogether because they couldn't follow COVID protocols, <laughs> um, I, I'm going to say that they finished fifth. But, like, not like a—they're they're a, a good last-place team versus, like, yeah. what we're going to see from, like, the Pirates this year, who might be historically bad. Um, you know, the, in, in general, I think that that's kind of the order I would get that, but you know, it's not going to be huge gaps. I don't think. Yeah. Eric, you're reading my mind here. I was hoping to be a little different, but I think we're almost identical. Um, I'll take the Braves for 93 wins. Uh, I think this is a fantastic team. I think this is a team that could go all the way if a few things break right. Uh, but playing, uh, what does it come out to like 40% of your games against, three good teams and one pesky team in your division is, is not easy to do. I'm going to say, I, I think my official prediction for the site was 93 for the Braves, 92 for the Mets. I think it's going to come down to that very last weekend in Atlanta, hopefully a, a rocking 40,000 plus SunTrust park or whatever the hell it's named now uh, <laughs> going good. Um, truest I, I, park, truest, truest park brought to you by Bally sports South on a whatever else they they they're sponsoring. Uh, <laughs> that's that's a tangent for another time. Well done. Anyway, I will I agree with Eric exactly about the Mets rotation. I, I think it's overrated for the first two months of the year. Jacob deGrom is very good. Marcus Stroman didn't pitch last year and is a pretty good pitcher, but other than that, it's like Joey Lucchesi and Taiwan Walker and uh, I think David Peterson. I mean that that's not very good. If you throw in a healthy Noah Syndergaard and Carlos Carrasco, maybe by the all-star break or so, I think you have an obviously a much better rotation. But um, I'll say the Braves edge out the Mets. I, I think the Phillies will be better than they have been in recent years. I'll say the Phillies end with maybe 85 or 86 wins, maybe fall just short of a wild-card spot. Um, and again, as Eric said, I, I don't really buy the Nationals. They're going to be really bad defensively. That rotation is getting old they have some injury issues. The bullpen isn't very good. Um, Juan Soto can only do so much. I mean, if I'm a team facing the Nationals this year, I'm not throwing Juan Soto anything. Like, I'm just going to let him walk. And, and yep. if if Josh Bell or whoever it is batting behind him kills you, then 
that's fine. Like you, you live with that. Um, so I'll, I'll take the Nats in fourth. I wouldn't be surprised if there are a couple games below 500. Um, and, and then the Marlins, who are on their way, they need to continue developing. Um, but again, as Eric said, I think they're clearly the best last place team in baseball. And if if they were in another division, I think they might push for 78 wins or so. But it's just so hard to play in this division night in and night out. Yeah, I think the Marlins are better than people think they are, but they're still the worst team, I think. And, you know, after, after making the playoffs last year, which is still crazy. I could I could see the Nationals, like, if they are as – if they the worst outcome for the Nationals in being as old as they are and, like, offensively challenged and defensively challenged as they could be, they could finish last. No, like, see, okay, so I, I'm uh... – I'm going to go against you guys on that one. I'm going to, I have the Nats third. I think the Nats are better than the Phillies. Uh, that's my one and only change. And I think the Nats are better than the Phillies. I will say it's really, it's really tears for me. I think the Braves, I think the Mets have real upside. Uh, the, the Braves are first in the division. I'm picking them to win the division. 94 wins for me for the Braves. Um, yes. I think the Mets are the only team um, that I could even defend picking over the Braves. I still won't do it. Sure. But the Mets have real upside. Like they also have real downside because they have a bunch of volatile pieces. But they're really talented. The Mets have a ton of talent, um, so that's worth saying. And then I do think that the Nats and the Phillies are sort of in their own tier together. But I think the Nats are a little bit better. I trust their pitching more. I know they're old, but I, I think last year was kind of a fluky, weird season for the for the Nats, and they're more talented than that roster would indicate. But I'm with you guys that there uh, there's some downside risk there, and the Marlins are fifth for sure. So was that the highest? What, what was your win total, Eric? For the Braves? Not I tied I, you and I had the same one. 94, 94. I was trying. I was trying to be the high guy for once. I'm usually the uh, the pessimist, <laughs> but listen, I think uh, that's, that's it's okay. It's okay, Brad. This, the internet's going to say that you didn't pick the Braves to win the division anyway. Yeah, so I mean, whatever I, you said. I, I was going to say it's probably uh, bad news for the Braves that we picked them to win the division because normally we're a little bit more pessimistic and then they win. So this year we all are on the wagon. Uh, maybe that's maybe that's a good sign or a bad sign. I'm not really sure. But there you have it, folks, the three of us. And also, if you want, as I think both of you alluded to, the predictions on the site are written. I did not do those because I'm a terrible uh, contributor. So I actually did not weigh on on the predictions. So this is the only place you can hear my predictions on the, on the Atlanta Braves this season. So there you go. Podcast exclusive. Podcast exclusive for me. You guys had to just like co-opt your own <laughs> takes. But alas, here we are. Um, well, that's it, folks. Uh, I will say, as a reminder, the Braves play – course on thursday max freed opening day starter this time around a three-game series and i know scott loves this the off day on friday after opening day scott's personal favorite thing in the uh, world he gets mad about it every time it happens and, and it i'm off again. i'm off work on friday too what a great day it's going to be like 85 degrees have a cold one watch a baseball game that evening no they have to build in an off day when they're selling 8,000 tickets on the chance it gets rained out. What, what are you going to do? Yeah, and, you know, fortunately, they're going to be playing in nice 48-degree weather in Philadelphia for opening day. It's Balmy. exciting. Balmy and the Philadelphia. Rain. Yeah. Uh, so we all get to hold our breaths when Acuna has to sprint into a gap in, in a soaking wet outfield. It'll be great. Um, Yes, that's all well said. And the Braves don't play at home until next Friday. Against those same Phillies. So if you are a uh, season ticket holder or something like that, you got to wait for another week and a half. But baseball counts on Thursday. Uh, I got to be honest, I'll be at work when the season starts on Thursday, unfortunately. So I'll I'll be keeping tabs as much as I possibly can be. But like Scott, I'm also off on Friday, and would have been it would have been great to watch some baseball on Friday, but not the way things broke in this case. At any rate, those are our predictions. We're on the record. 
Uh, if either of you have any final takes, please, 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 sorry, I can't talk. Please feel free to share them. And if not, we'll get out of here because it's time. Baseball. Huh. Yeah, pretty much baseball. Yeah, no, thanks to everybody for sticking with us over the offseason. As, as has become the MO of Alex Anthopoulos, there's always a bunch of stuff early, and then there's like two and a half months of literally nothing. So I uh, appreciate everyone tuning in and looking forward to some real baseball here in the next couple of days. And send your T's and P's to one Brad Rowland because uh, his Michigan Wolverines oh, are going to be are be playing some college basketball of note uh, coming up here soon. And, uh, you know, whether they're winning or losing, he's going to need some consolation from our listeners. So, you know, make, yeah. sure you, make sure you have some kind words for him. By the time this podcast is up, you'll probably know what happened in that game. But uh, thoughts and prayers for me as well as the Hawks are playing at the same time. So a long night ahead for me. But thank you for listening to the podcast, everybody. Please subscribe to the show. It's a new season. Go ahead and click the subscribe button. You get this podcast. You get Road to Atlanta with Eric as the, uh, the booming voice of that podcast, along with uh, the myriad cast of characters from the minor league side of things all in one feed so join us uh subscribe rate review tell your friends and we'll see you all next time